Good morning. I pray that I do no harm today. And that, uh, ooh, the Lord is really good. He really is good. And he's up to something big. He's up to something bigger than I've ever seen in my life. I feel uh, like we're ready for a wow moment in history that will go down in history. I want to start. Uh, I've got. I, I usually don't have a a title for messages, but knowing that Tony is going to ask me for one, um, I came up with this, and it really it, it's called the unshakable kingdom of God. You know, recently I uh, uh, went back and listened to an old Jerry Lee Lewis song. Does anybody remember who Jerry Lee Lewis is? And back in the 50s, he had this song that says, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And he would pound on that piano and dance around and you'd get goosebumpy over it, you know. He, um, but there right now is a lot of shaking going on. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but there is something that cannot be shaken, and that is the unshakable kingdom of God, which we are members in. We pertain to that kingdom, not the kingdom of darkness. We pertain to an unshakable kingdom. I want to start out by reading uh, Jude, verses 17 through 23. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude is believed to have been like a half-brother to Jesus. You know, they had a different daddy. Jesus' daddy was the Holy Spirit, God himself, God the Father, begot Jesus Christ. Okay, well, Joseph and Mary hooked up later on after that and had several other children, and Jude apparently was one of them. But in Jude, verses 17 through 23, I want to read right now. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version today unless something weird happens. Um, It says, But you must remember, beloved... The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And I'm going to stop and pause right there for a second. There's something very popular with the generation where everybody got a trophy for everything. You, you know, there's a, there's a generation where everybody who showed up got a trophy. Nobody ever won. Effort and talent mounted to nothing. You got a trophy for just showing up. Everybody got a trophy. And so now that generation wants to deconstruct their faith. And one of the most popular things to deconstruct is there can't be a heaven or a hell. Because if God is a loving God, there can't be any reward or punishment, right? Because everybody gets a trophy. I'm telling you, that ain't right. That ain't the way it works. If you're sitting in your pajamas in your mama's basement, you do not deserve the same salary as a guy goes out and plants 2,000 of corn in Kansas and battles the bugs and the weather to bring in a harvest. 
effort and talent mean something. That is not the way the universe works. But we have raised up a generation who has a misconception about all things natural and eternal. We need to get our minds right. Recently, I had um, an inconvenience at my house. Uh, All of our internet became garbled. You know, it's just nothing was working right. I don't know what happens in the server in your house, but every once in a while, you just got to unplug that sucker (laughs) and set it back to naught and clean it out and, and, and redo it and then plug it back in to the right place. Okay, we need to do the same with our way of thinking. We need to unplug from the juice of the world that's got our thinking all scrambled up, and we need a reset. We need a reset in the way we think about the times and the seasons that we are living right now. We need to see the times and the seasons that we're involved in right now and all that's going on in the house and see that God is up to something. I'm sorry, that was a little side note. We need to build ourselves up in the faith. We do not need to give in to that current trend of deconstructing our faith. We need to be built up. Build me up, Lord. Shake me up. Fill me up. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. My personal counsel to you is pray a lot in tongues. Pray in the Spirit. Even if you don't know what's going on, you will feel better when you're finished. Isn't that right? You know, last week, I'm going to do this. I'm going to embarrass you guys publicly. Last week, I think it was last week, the Lord told me about Aaron and Holly, that they were full of potential energy, but it was time for them to go kinetic. You know, potential energy is possible, but kinetic is in motion. It's for you to get in motion with the prophetic and worship gifts that you have. It's time for you to move on. You know, God's really got a calling on your life. There's really an anointing on both of you to do tremendous things in the kingdom of God. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Absolutely essential. If you don't feel loved by God and you don't feel love for God, get it right. We can't make it through this season without feeling love and being loved. You know, giving and receiving love is essential to being a human. waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy. Don't be angry at people that don't believe. Don't be angry with people that see things differently than you. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating the garment stained by the flesh. You don't have to participate in the things of the world to snatch somebody out of the world. As a matter of fact, it'll disqualify you. It's time to hit the reset button on what occupies our minds and hearts. We need to change the way we perceive what is happening in the world around us and things and see things from a heavenly perspective. 
Yeah. Help us. Um, I'm going to read a lot of scriptures this morning and try to keep my commentary to a minimum. We'll see how that goes. Uh, um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 through 28 says this. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he is promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was actually quoting Haggai, prophecy in Haggai. Okay? My personal opinion is I think uh, Apollos wrote um, the book of Hebrews. Uh, there's some debate about who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the eloquence of the Greek used in that book and the thought processes that are in that book don't coincide with any of the other biblical authors. It's like somebody else wrote this, you know. So that's my personal opinion. It doesn't matter. But it's very eloquently. He quoted Haggai, but the, the original prophecy in Haggai uh, contains something else I want to focus on. It says in Haggai 2, verses 6 through 9, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while... I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. All nations are going to get shook. Nobody's going to escape it. Do you feel like we're being shaken as a nation? We haven't been shaken like this as a nation since the Civil War. We're being shaken to our very foundations right now as a nation. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Rit the reset button. This is a good thing that's going on. So that the treasures of all nations shall come in. We have for years talked about the great last harvest, the great revival at the end where there's an ingathering. But for there to be an ingathering, there has to be a shaking. You got to get the wheat and the chaff separated. So if we're going to gather it in to make bread, we've got to bring it in and shake it up a little bit. So that all the treasures of all nations shall come in. Let me tell you the truth. You are that treasure. You are the pearl of great price. That someone paid the ultimate price for so that he could have you as his kin. So that you could be brought in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. That is an eternal, irrevocable principle of the unshakable kingdom of God, that the latter glory is always superior to the former glory. The Lord always saves the best wine and the best glory for last. We are moving toward a superior glory and revelation of who Jesus Christ is in his church than has ever been seen in history before. 
inextricably, unavoidably, we are being moved toward that end of God getting glory in his church. But for that to happen, there has to be a whole lot of shaking going on in the house. Things can't keep on the way they've been. But how are we going to react to the days in which we live? This has been a question I've been really, I've been uh, reading and studying and praying and seeking the Lord over this thing for months now. I just pray that God will give us eyes to see and hearts to believe. That we're be taken, we are being taken from a lesser to a higher glory. But I've been encouraged by uh, what I've I've seen in the in the Apostle Peter, and so I want to I want to talk about Peter a little bit this morning with you. Um, I think his words can um, can help us out. In the, in the 30 some odd years, maybe 30 to 35 years that Peter lived after the day of Pentecost, he was arrested three or four or five times, depending on how you count it, by both religious leaders and political leaders that were so corrupt, they make the crowd that we're dealing with today look like amateurs. And so what I want to do is I want to just examine a little bit about what Peter went through, but with a view of um, what we are confronting in the day that we live. What lessons can we gain from how Peter acted in his time with the opposition and the persecution and the corruption that was extant in his day and how we can... Um, maybe learn how to approach what we're facing today for the glory of God. Okay? Okay, so um, the first time that Peter gets arrested uh, after the day of Pentecost, do you, does anyone here remember why he got arrested? Because a crippled guy got healed. A crippled guy got healed and that got him in trouble. May the Lord smite us with that kind of trouble. May the healings become so frequent and so miraculous that it enrages the religious spirits around us. I'm volunteering for that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm in. I'm all in. Me and Sharon are all in. The Rose of Sharon is in. Uh, Acts 3, verses 6 through 10 is, is, is these famous scriptures, but they're so good. I just wanted to read them anyway. I know you guys have this down memorized probably. It says, but Peter said to the crippled guy sitting by the gate begging there, he says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as a result of this uh, miraculous healing, a, a crowd gathered. Now, when people are getting healed on a regular basis, it's not hard to get a crowd. You know, it's pretty easy, actually. And so Peter preaches this sermon, and, and you know, and then he's attracting attention, and, and the priests that are in charge of the Temple Mount, they kind of... Yeah, what's that crowd over there? So they're coming around, and I'm not going to read his whole sermon, but this is kind of fun in Acts 4, 1 through 7. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. I love that. I love that translation there. (laughs) They were annoyed as heck because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see, that was like spitting in the Sadducees' eye because they didn't believe in a resurrection. There was a 70-member Sanhedrin that governed all things religious in Jerusalem in those days. And it was comprised of Sadducees and Pharisees. Now, the majority... Well, there were the Sadducees who said there's no resurrection. There's not even such a thing as a spirit or a demon. They didn't believe in anything spiritual or anything super, supernatural. So talking about Jesus raising from the dead was galling these boys pretty bad. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, I'd like to see that, 5,000 people coming in to know the Lord in a day. Come on. I would, I've never seen that. I'd like to see that. I'm all in favor of it. But on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, do you remember this Anas guy? When they arrested Jesus, they, um, they, the, the, they gathered Jesus up, and the first place they took him was to Anas's house. Now, he was not really the high priest. He's called the high priest here, but he was just the guy that told the high priest what to do. Anas had been the high priest. Do you know who appointed the high priests in Jerusalem during this period of time? The, the, the Roman governor, whoever it was. Anas had actually been appointed. The, the complexities of what was going on there is, you know, there are people who write their doctrinal theses about the political shenanigans that were going on in Jerusalem during this period of time. And it's so complicated, they all get in arguments with each other. But anyway, the high priest was appointed, Anas was appointed by the governor of Syria. The remnant of the Seleucid Empire, you know, goes back to Alexander the Great. You guys don't want to know all these details, but they're fascinating to me. But anyway, he was appointed by the Syrian governor to be high priest. And he was high priest for about seven years. But then some little boy started carrying something across the temple courtyard one day on the Sabbath, so he had him stoned. And that got him in trouble with the Romans because he was high priest, but he didn't have the authority to execute capital punishment on anybody. He couldn't kill anybody. He could tell them what to do. He was totally in charge of all religious affairs, but he did not have the authority in the Roman Empire to, to exert capital punishment on anybody. So they took the high priesthood away from him, but he was so um, politically astute and powerful that the next high, five high priests in Jerusalem were either Anas's sons or son-in-laws. He had a mafia going. Now, Anas was already kind of ticked off at Jesus and all of his followers because Anas had the concession for the sale of sacrificial animals on the Temple Mount. You remember the day, time when Jesus drove everybody out, the money changers, and, the, and uh, he chased off all their livestock? Well, this, this lets... This is one of the, this is a cool thing. I don't even, I can't tell you though, it's too complicated, but we know the markup that they had. Uh, A poor person, when he came to do uh, an offering, if he could not afford a lamb or a goat 
or uh, he could use a dove. Now, you could buy a dove in the market there in Jerusalem for the equivalent of about 25 cents. Pretty cheap. Even a poor person could afford that. But then you buy your dove for 25 cents and you take it up there and you want to do the, 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 the sacrifice with your dove and the high priest invariably finds a blemish on it. I'm sorry, this, this is not acceptable. It's got a blemish. It has to be without blemish. Well, where do I find one that's not got a blemish? Well, if you go right over there, we've got to stand right over there, and you can buy a dove for $5, and it's got a little wax seal on its foot. And I had a little wax seal with a high priest implant on it, and you could buy that for $5. 25 cents to $5 is 1,900% markup. Anybody want to start a business where you could buy raw materials and then get a 1,900% markup on it? So when Jesus upset the, the exchange tables and the apple, they were making a profit over, you, they would have Roman coins up in Galilee and it all had a picture of Caesar on it. You remember the thing about whose picture's on this money? Well, you couldn't offer that piece of money as a, a, a payment at the... At the temple, you had to change it into Jewish money, and so they, they scalped you at the changer table too. And so when Jesus overturned those tables, he was poking his eye in the Godfather's business. So you see the, the religious corruption that Peter had to confront was deep and ugly. It was deep and ugly. That was my whole point in that. Because sometimes we feel like the things that we're facing are worse than has ever been before. It can get a lot worse, church. Um, I'm going to pick for you again. Um, Anyway, so, you know, they, they because the, 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 the beggar was there, and, I mean, the, he'd gotten healed, and it didn't matter that the high priests were all upset about it. They says, well, you know, we can't deny this. Everybody can see this fellow that they've seen that was a cripple for years sitting here, and now he can walk. So they, they just says, now, don't you be talking about that anymore. And he let them go. Well, they show back up in the marketplace again. Um, but in, uh, in Acts 4, I want to read another couple of verses. It says, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Does that sound like censorship? Is anybody in here afraid of censorship these days? Is anybody a little sensitive about your posts not getting flagged? And I know somebody lives over my house. <laughs> but, but Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Do not stop speaking the truth. The leaders couldn't deny that a miracle had happened. They feared the people, so they released them. Now, they went right, right straight back to the market. Um, and so the, this happened, and then they, they got arrested the very next day. So that's why you, it depends on how you count it. Is this still part of the same deal or not? But in Acts five seventeen, the story goes on. It says, um, I want to make sure I'm getting this right because this is complicated what I want to pull off here. Okay, um, now... 
this next one is um, a little bit different because um, the, there's a, a period of time between the next arrests. Of, uh, so they let them go, and they began to have a revival. And tons of people started coming in, and, and so they, they got all um, flush with revival. And one of the characteristics of revival is communities spring up. So you remember they started selling all of their property? A lot of people would sell their property and give it to the apostles so that nobody would uh, have any needs and one thing or another. And um, then Ananias and Sapphira, this couple, say, well, we want to look like we're giving everything, but they held back a portion. They got knocked down dead. Uh, I don't want to labor on that too long. But anyway, so there was a period of a year or two where there was liberty, um, there was resistance against the believers, but they continued to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and miracles happened, and people were added to the church. Um, but the story takes up again um, in Acts 5. Uh, but the high priest rose up, and all were, who were with him, that is the, the Sadducees, and were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and told them this. says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I believe we're coming into a season when God is going to give us a voice in the marketplace and we are going to speak of the words of this life. I believe that we need to rehearse how we can speak of the things that we know to be true about Jesus. That we need to get these things sharpened and refined and go out into the marketplace again and speak with boldness, not fearing the rejection of the masses, we need to speak of the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Then they were automatically rearrested again. And the, so the, they um, they said in verse uh, chapter five, verses twenty eight and twenty nine, it says, "We strictly charged you not to teach in this name." Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you attend to bring this man's blood upon us. They were guilty. They just didn't want to pay the price. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Well, that made the priests so mad they wanted to kill the apostles, Peter and John. But Gamaliel now, this is the same guy who had uh, been um, Paul's mentor. Paul had gone to Gamaliel's rabbi school. But he said, no, don't, don't kill him. Just let him go. So this time, they let him go, but they beat him before they got loose. You see what I'm saying? The first time, they got off with a warning. The next time, it gets escalated a little bit. Still, under the religious leaders, they had gotten arrested. And this time, they were beaten up before they were released. But they said, we're still going to glorify God. We're still going to speak the things of this life. The next time Peter was arrested was about 15 years later. After the, it was about 15 years from Pentecost until the time that old crazy King Herod came in. And, um, and it, it, we'll read the, a little bit of this story. And then I'll tell you about it. Does anybody know the history of Herod's? Is, have you ever been confused about this Herod and that Herod and, and all these Herods? There's a lot of mess going on. But I'm telling you, the, the Herod family makes our politicians look pr 
pristine, clean as a whistle pig. You know, uh, they weren't even really Jewish. The Herods were descendants of Esau, not technically uh, Jewish stock, you know, but... Uh, the the old guy, Herod, uh, was an Idumean, um, anyway, from Edom. Um, I don't want to go down that road, but um, there was a saying in Jerusalem at that time that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Herod the Great, uh, at one time or another, was married to ten different women, Uh, He killed several of them. He also killed several of his sons because he was afraid that they would rise up and try to take the kingdom away from him before he was willing to let go of it. So there was political corruption out the wazoo. Um, But anyway, Herod as king could execute people. So in Acts 12, 1 through 10, all all of a sudden I'm going to have to hurry here. Um, About the time, uh, Acts 12, verses 1 through 10, I'm going to read. About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. The brother of uh, John, this James, had recently returned from a missionary trip to Spain. He had gone to what was literally, he took Jesus' exhortation to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. James the apostle walked all the way to the Roman province called Finisteri, the end of the earth, which was northern Spain. That was as far east as you could go in Europe. And he had been there for uh, about 12 or 14 years evangelizing in Spain. And he had come home to make a report to the apostles. And so King Herod cuts his head off. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter and was going to cut Peter's head off. This was during the, uh, the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison delivering them over to four squads of soldiers to guard, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on the very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Apparently they didn't want him to get away. He had already gotten out of jail free by an angel once before, so they chained guards to him this time, you know. And behold, an angel, the ante kept getting up, you know, kept getting bigger. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him and said, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed and, and followed was seeing a vision. And he, and he went out and followed and he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. They were expecting Peter to be killed. Now, did Peter run back out into the marketplace and start preaching again? You know what Peter did? He went down to the local prayer meeting. He knocked on the door. They said, no, it can't be him. It's got to be his angel. He said, nope, it's me. He says, an angel of the Lord released me, but I'm leaving town. He took off. 
for an area that Herod did not have authority in. Okay, there is a time for wisdom. The high priest, the religious leaders, the, the, the religious, I'm going to just leave it right there. The religious leaders who opposed the message of Peter didn't have the authority to kill him. They only had the authority to defame him. And so he just went right back into the fray, went right back into the marketplace. But he knew that if he hung around, old crazy Herod could cut his head off. So he left town. But Peter doesn't come back to Jerusalem again for 15 years. And somehow, we don't know exactly the trajectory, but 15 years later, he winds up in Rome. And from Rome, years later, after having suffered both religious persecution and political persecution, Peter's attitude is something that I think holds wisdom for us today. So I want to, you know, what? and I went through all of that mess, and I didn't do a really good job. I didn't do as good a job as I wanted to do on that. But uh, church, I believe that as we are being moved from the former glory to a higher glory, we are going to meet with more political and societal and religious opposition than we've ever known before in our lives. So I want you to prepare your hearts in the truth. We have to know where we stand and why we're standing there. There are certain things that are being perpetrated upon our nation and upon our culture and in the world today that are anti-biblical. They're anti-Christ inspired. And we have to make sure that we draw that line. I'm so proud of those people who make a stand for life and will go and pray in front of the Supreme Court and march for life instead of death because sacrificing children is never the will of God. We are about life. We're not about death. We're about mercy. We're not about judgment. But that does, because we're in favor of mercy does not mean we compromise the truth. Because not everybody's going to get a trophy at the end. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Lord, make this a part of our attitude toward the world around us. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If we can just get that one sentence down, we got a real head start. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. If somebody says something ugly to you, hold your tongue until you can bless them. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing because what you sow, you're going to reap. So bless. Don't curse. Don't defame. Don't mock. Don't mock your political leaders, no matter how much you disagree with them. 
It's not the godly thing to do. You're cutting yourself off from the blessing God intends for you when you participate in reviling. Stop it. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. I mean, if I could sum up what we need to be about in this next season, it's just simply that. Do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let God sort out the wheat and the tares. Don't you be trying to do that. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, even when they try to cancel you. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to consciously prepare how we're going to answer people about the hope that is in us. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let that be the tone of all your posts. You can speak the truth with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now this, I believe, is the season more than ever to go out and do any good that the Lord reveals to you. If you see something that's wrong, ask Father to show you how to do right in that situation. Run for the school board, Anita. If you're upset about education... Stand up and do something about it. It takes work to find out how to stand up and do something about it, doesn't it? Lord, I pray a blessing on Anita's life that she could somehow be a seed sown into all the mess that education has become in the United States of America. Lord, let that be an example to all of us. Let that be just like a shining example. If you see something wrong, figure out how to do something right. Go out without fear, anger, or bitterness. Do it in the love of Christ and for His glory. And God will reveal his greater glory in and through you. Because you are the instruments of his glory. If God plans for his house, we are his house. We are the temple of the living God. If we are that end time temple of God that he wants to reveal a greater glory through, we cannot do it with bitterness and criticism and backbiting. And I'm going to finish now, almost on time. Byron would be proud of me. Pray that the Lord really blesses them down in Chapel Hill this morning. Yeah. I want to read 
what's called Jude's doxology. And we started out with Jude. I want to finish up with what he, he said after that. He said uh, in verse uh, 24 and 25, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, there is only one, you know, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. May you be blessed in your going out and in your coming in. May you sense the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit on your life, taking you to deeper love and greater joy in doing good in your generation. Be blessed. Amen. If you stand, it's powerful. Still feel the presence of the Lord here before we're dismissed. We just want to pray for boldness, Lord. Boldness for all of us as we go into the marketplace, as we go to our homes. Declare your boldness, God, and a fresh revelation. A fresh revelation, your increase in the earth, that you're extending your garden. From the very beginning, you're extending it. Your kingdom is being extended through us. So give us boldness, Lord. Boldness to make peace and not keep it. Boldness to make it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, I invite you to come on up. If you need prayer, we'll have people up here to pray for you. And uh, bless you all. Have a good week.